Hebrews chapter 3. Those of you that were here Sunday, and I won't ask for a showing of hands, uh, discovered that God has sent me in a, a little different direction. I believe that, um, that the Lord several weeks ago spoke to me very clearly that we need tonight, we need in this congregation, he said, you need to feed them faith because of what many of them are facing now and many will be facing. And so my assumption was, all right, what we'll do is we'll just move Wednesday night's teaching to Sunday morning. So I got up this morning and I was spent my time with the Lord. I said, all right, then what do we do Wednesday night? And he gave me something on faith. So we're going to get it stereo. I'm just going to trust God. I know Sunday morning, we never even got half partway into my notes. So I relieve the Spirit of God. There's something He wants to show us. So we're going to look at it. It's a little different aspect of it. And the title of tonight's message, just so you know ahead of time, is Faith Rests. R-E-S-T-S. Any, could anyone use some rest right now? I don't mean, of, you know, our instinct is I want to go sit on an island somewhere sipping iced teas. Oh, it's iced tea. And, and just get, a, you know, get everything, problem off my lap. And there's times you need to do that, but there's a, there are different, I've learned there's different types of rest. There's a physical rest we need. There's an emotional rest we need. There's a spiritual rest we need. And the spiritual rest is often the most important. And sometimes what we want to do is get a physical rest from God who is the source of our spiritual rest. Because you can be sitting on an island drinking iced tea and, and, and not be at rest because your mind's running on what's facing you when you come back home. But when you are resting in the arms of God, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. It's like a child who gets anxious because they're lost in the mall and they're running around and they're anxious and, and they're, they, they don't know where to turn and suddenly a big hand reaches down and grabs them and they know the feel of their hand. It's daddy. And they look up and there's dad. It doesn't matter whether the turmoil in the mall has not changed. All they know is they've got to hold a daddy's hand. And often when we're not in peace, it's because we've let go of his hand because we're chasing after something. We think we can handle being out there on our own. When Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we're going to look tonight and begin to look at some things. Uh, we're going to have a couple of interruptions on Wednesday nights, but we're going to begin to look at some things about resting in faith. And if you think about it, it makes sense because if faith is believing that God has already done what He's promised, then what else is left for me to do? In fact, what we'll discover is the way you can tell whether... Because remember we began the series by looking at what's faith and what's not faith. We saw that hope is not faith. Hope is important. It's good. Hope is the thermostat. It It sets where you want to go, but it's faith that gets you there. We saw that faith is not hope because faith is the substance of things hoped for. We saw that, that faith is not mental assent and it can be very similar where you can agree with something in the Bible but that doesn't mean you've believed it with all of your heart yet. And we talked about that. And so we see what some things that faith is not. We've also discovered that, that we talked about how to release your faith. And you release your faith by doing something, by be, being doers of the Word and not hearers only. And this is kind of a, a completion of that. But the way you know you are in faith is because you're at rest. As long as you're still trying to figure out how God's going to do it, when He's going to do it, and where He's going to do it, you're not in faith yet. 
As long as your mind is still working on how it's going to happen, you're not in faith yet. You may be on your way, but you're not there yet. Flying back from Columbus on Saturday, uh, the first, we did two flights, and the first flight there was a gentleman with his son sitting next to him, and you know, he's all excited. We had kids all around us, and it was neat because they were all excited about it. You could tell many of them it was their first airplane ride, and they're riding along, and you know, as we're taxiing out, this little kid behind us says, boy, are we going fast. And Mama said, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> and we got out on the runway, and we, the, the pilot floors it, and the plane just shrubbed. The boy went, wow! It's like, it was neat to hear their excitement. We got up, and the boy in front of us, I told you, you're going to hear it in a sermon soon. We got up in the morning, and he, we got up above, and we weren't up probably more than 5,000 feet. And he's looking down, and he said, wow, it's real! I mean, at the top of his lungs, you know, and he says, wow, look how little the cars are! It's like, you know, and all I could think of is, I believe when we get to heaven, that's what we're going to do. Because we're like little kids. We See, we think we're so sophisticated. I mean, I've been saved 33 years, and I think, you know, begin to think this illusion, I'm sophisticated. I guarantee you, when you get to heaven, you're not sophisticated. It's like, wow! It's real! That's all I could think of. But it reminded me of the first time I flew above the clouds. I was, I think, nine years old. Flew above the clouds, and it was a cloudy day. In fact, it was the first time I flew. It was raining. I still remember it. It was it was a rainy day, one of those dreary, pouring, rainy days. And I took this flight with my father. We got in this plane and we took off and we got above the clouds and the sun was out. I was in shock. I was probably like this little kid. Wow! And my father's explaining to me the sun's always out. It's just when you're underneath the clouds, you can't see the sun. And I never forgot that because when the sun's... Not, I can't see the sun. And when you live in New England in the wintertime... In fact, I went to school in upstate New York where the sun disappears in October and shows up again in May. And you have to live by faith every day that the sun's really up there. Well, it helped to have seen that. And every time I go above the clouds, I I remember that first experience. And so what it told me is that I didn't know something until... When I experienced it the first time, it made me realize I had never really experienced it. And I remember the first time I really got in faith about a situation in our lives and it was no other way out but trusting God. And we just put everything else aside. It was a physical issue. We put everything else aside. We saturated ourselves in God's Word and we agreed on it together. Shut the television off. Cut everything else. And this is a situation where either we go, one of us goes into the hospital or God heals us. And we made the decision because I remember driving by the hospital and the Lord says, I can either solve it in there or I can solve it in the Bible. You choose. And I said, I choose the Bible. But that meant I had to do something. And so we got an agreement, we got in prayer, and we just meditated on the Word and meditated on the Word and meditated on the Word and meditated on the Word. And there was a point in time when I, I could feel the Word of God drop from here down into here. And from that moment on, I had no doubt that that healing was ours. And the moment I, the first, when I experienced that the first time, I realized everything else I thought was faith wasn't. Because what we had come to was a place of rest. And I never knew what rest was until I experienced rest in God. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to look at the beginning at a story of a people who did not learn to rest in God because they did not get in faith. 
We're going to see that God was not pleased with that. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in there, but then we're going to get into chapter 4 where God talks about us. Hebrews chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Your word is the truth. Your word is the truth. We may feel other things, we may see other things, and they may be true in this realm. But your word, your truth, supersedes everything we see. Tonight we choose your word, not what our senses tell us. For your word is eternal. It will not fail. It cannot fail. By your word, the stars and the universes were hung in the sky, and by the word of your power, they remain there today. We choose to put our trust in your word. And now as we open this sacred holy word tonight, we ask you by your spirit to take this word and quicken it into our hearts that our eyes may see things we've not seen before, our ears may hear things we've not heard before, and our hearts may begin to grasp things we've not grasped before. We ask you to do this and believe you've already done it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. This is part of a long study. I wish we could take the time right now to get into it because the more... I mean, I've, I've, I've studied these verses, preached these verses, got a whole course in the tabernacle that's around some of these verses, and I saw some things this morning I have never seen before in here. So I'm excited. Let's look at... Uh, start in verse 7. Therefore, as this Holy Spirit says, Today, say today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. That's referring to the first generation of Israel that God delivered out of Egypt, was taking them through the wilderness so that they go into the promised land. And just for background here so you understand, God had told them while they were in Egypt that He had a place for them in a land that He promised to them. It was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a land that was to be a place of blessing. It was a land that God had prepared for them, and it was God's will for them to go there. But between where they were in bondage and the place of God's freedom and joy and peace and deliverance, they had to go through a wilderness. If you study the Scriptures carefully, and we've talked about this before, you'll discover that it was about an 11-day journey. But God says to Moses, I cannot take them by that shortcut because on the way they're going to experience the Canaanite army. And I know this people. Isn't it comforting God knows us? He says, and I know this people, and if they see soldiers, they'll panic and run back to Egypt. And I don't want them in Egypt. I want them in the place of plenty that I prepared for them. Therefore, I have to take them by a longer route. So some of you may be going by a longer route than you think it ought to take. And that's because God knows the route that will work for you. We want to take shortcuts, but God knows the route that you're capable at your level of growth of walking on. Trust Him enough to lead you and guide you. So He delivers them supernaturally out of Egypt. He brings them out to a place in in, in the wilderness and he, He meets with them on Mount Horeb, gives them the Ten Commandments, the rules by which they're going to operate, instructs Moses to build His tabernacle, which will be their place of worship. And from that day on, God leads them and guides them by day and by night, by a pillar of cloud, by a pillar of cloud in the daytime and by a pillar of fire at night. And He leads them and guides them. In the process, 
And we'll talk a little bit about this Sunday. God supernaturally provides food for them every morning. Their shoes do not wear out. Their clothes do not shrink or tear or wear out. All supernatural provision. They came to the edge of the promised land. And God said to them, uh, uh, Moses said, Take twelve of you as spies, two, uh, one from each of your tribes, and go into this land and check it out to see if it's not everything God said it was. They come back and they report to Joshua, to Moses, that everything God said about the land is true, except God didn't tell us one thing. There are giants in the land. There are enemies in the land. Well, God didn't tell them that about it, because if He told them, they wouldn't have gone that far. But God has said, I have given this land to you. And they've gone in and they've verified everything God said about it was true, yet they also look at the opposition and they get into their own reasoning and they come back and give a report and says, we're not able to take that land because of the giants that we see, the opposition that we see. And they deliver, and we'll talk about this on Sunday, they deliver what God calls an evil report. And God was not happy with them. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, come back and stand up among the people and say, yes, there are giants in the land, but we are well able to take it because God has said He's given this land to us. Now that's the background. Because they rebelled against God's promise, and listen to me carefully, they refused to believe God's word. God was angry with them And God said to them, you're going to have to live the rest of your days, 39 more years in this wilderness until you've died off. And the generation that was not raised in Egypt, I can then take in. Because of their unbelief, we're going to see, God was not able to get them in. Not because God didn't want them, it was His will to get them in there. It was because of their unbelief Listen to me carefully. Because of their unbelief, God's will for their life could not be fulfilled. So with that background, let's read these verses. Verse 8. Today, or verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So we see that they hardened their hearts. In the day of trial or test in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. For 40 years, they saw God provide food for them. For 40 years, every day, they saw God provide water for them. For 40 years, they saw God drive away and defeat their enemies. For 40 years, every day, they saw God preserve their shoes and preserve their clothes and provide everything that they needed. They saw God lead them and guide them, provide everything. They saw God's miraculous hand every day and still did not believe. We have this mindset, I think. Well, if I saw great miracles, then I believe. Well, the Scriptures show that's not necessarily true. The Scriptures tell us that over 500 people saw Jesus raised from the dead. Only 120 showed up. Over and over again, people saw miraculous signs and still chose not to believe. We've talked about this before. Faith is an act of your will. Otherwise, God couldn't hold us responsible for it, could He? 
It wouldn't, couldn't be, wouldn't be fair to hold us responsible for it if it was just some emotion that came and went with the winds and the seasons and the sun being out or the sun not being out. Faith is an act of your will to choose to believe what God said over what you see. All right. Isn't this exciting? Well, it is. Just hang on. Verse 10, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. Now Psalm 103 verse 7 tells us, Israel knew God's acts, His deeds, but Moses knew His ways. Moses knew what God was like, and he knew what God was like through exercising his faith. You cannot know God and what he's like apart from faith. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is hard to, to please God. That's not what it says, is it? It's impossible to please God. For in order to come to him, you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, that you'll know him if you pursue him. James says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Notice who makes the first move. We do. And we make that move by faith. You cannot know God, know what he's like apart from faith. You can know his deeds, you can see his deeds, but you can't know him apart from faith. That in and itself is enough to devote the rest of my life to growing in faith. Notice verse 11. And as a result, I swore in my wrath that they would not enter my rest. Now, that's a nice historical lesson, but look at verse 12. Beware, brethren. Now he's going to turn and talk to us lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Notice how God characterizes, God characterizes, God characterizes unbelief as an evil heart. Why? Because it's a refusal to trust Him. Because when I refused to act in faith, I'm saying, I don't trust you. I trust what I see and what I understand more than I trust you. What if your children told you that? I don't trust you. That wouldn't bless you, would it? Unless you've given them reason to not trust you. That's a different story. But God's not given us reason not to trust us. He's never failed us, ever. In fact, when we failed Him over and over and over and over and over again, at least I know I have. Am I the only one? Okay, there's two, three of us here. Okay. The rest of you only did it once, I know, and then you're just here to... To, to humor us, and I appreciate that, and you're our inspiration, but we've all failed in many, I know it because James says we've all fallen short in many ways, Amen. and God's been gracious and patient and loving, and He hasn't quit on you, and He hasn't quit on me, that's faith, that's faith, that's faith, all right. I want to move along because this is not the main thing that's in my heart to share with you tonight. Beware, brethren, lest be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But I, ex- I would never do that. Well, look what he says. I exhort, but exhort one another daily 
while it's still called the day, lest any of you be hardened, that's talking about in your heart, through the deceitfulness of sin. That's the danger of sin. Will God forgive you? Yes. Will God continue to love you? Yes. But the danger is persistent, unrepentant sin will harden your heart. And I don't want to go off into this right now. That's a whole teaching that takes more than one night. For we become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom? Remember, they had the chance to go in the land. It wasn't that God was partial to them. God had, a vi- had a, not only a vision for them, He had a destiny for them, a God-ordained destiny. And they refused to accept their destiny because they were moved by what they saw more than trusting in what God said. And these words are written for us today. Verse 18, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Verse 19, So we see that they could not Enter in because of unbelief. We've talked in this series over and over again about God's will. God's already expressed His will. God's declared His will. He had expressed His will, declared His will, and provided His will for this, for this people. And He told them what His will was. They walked away from His will because they refused to trust Him. Instead, they trusted in what their senses told them. Now, they all saw the same thing. Joshua and Caleb saw with their eyes the same obstacles that the other ten saw. It's not what you see, and it's not what you hear, and it's not what someone says to you, and it's not what you feel. Listen very carefully. It's what you choose to think about what you see. And what you choose to think of. See, you're all, you know, the pain... The letter, the words you hear, they're just information. Your mind takes that information and draws conclusions from it. Your mind takes that information and projects what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. I'll give you an example. You go to work just full of hope. You've come out of a wonderful Sunday. You've had a great time with your family. And you go to work and you're all excited and you discover that they're laying off 10%. That's maybe a fact. What does your mind begin to do? Decide what your chances are of being one of that 10%. And if you let your mind go down that path, pretty soon you'll have yourself pictured at the unemployment line. You'll already have figured they're going to take your house from you. You'll already figured out all the consequences and nothing's happened yet. All you know is they're laying off 10%. You don't know anything else. So it's not what you hear or what you see. Jairus is a great example. He heard that his daughter was dead. But we saw several weeks ago how Jesus responded to that, didn't we? Jesus said, don't listen to what you heard. Let me interpret it for you. Don't fear! 
only believe. All right, let's move on. Therefore, chapter 4, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seems to come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Now he's going to take this lesson of what happened to them and bring it over to us and apply it to us. For we had the, indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as it was to them. But the word, and here's what happened. Here's why they didn't make it. The word that they heard, they heard the word of God. They heard God saying, this land is your land. I brought you out of Egypt to take you to this land. They heard that word, but it, wasn't, it goes back to what we heard Sunday morning, Matthew 7. They heard the word. Remember the two gentlemen that built houses in Matthew 7? They both heard the word. But one of them built it on sand. He's the one that heard it and didn't act on it. The one that heard it and obeyed it is the one who built his house on the rock. And his house stood. Here's the same principle again. He's taking them back and showing them the children of Israel that they knew so well about. The children of Israel, when they stood at Kadesh Barnea and they said, we can't go in there, what they were doing is they had heard the word, but they refused to combine that word with faith. And as a result, they went, stepped into unbelief and fear. The word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard. So the word of God, the author of Hebrews is saying here, will not profit you. Isn't that what I've been saying? If you just hear the word but you don't do it, it's like chewing food and spitting it out. It tastes great, gives you a wonderful experience, but it won't benefit you. He's saying here, they heard the word, but it did not profit them because they didn't take the word they heard and mix it, combine it with faith. Well, we don't want to make that mistake. For we, verse 3, we who have believed do enter into that rest. And that's what we're going to talk about, that rest. As he said, God, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter, look at these words, my rest. There is a rest that you can get by just sitting back and watching TV. Not a particularly good rest, but it's a form of rest. There's a rest that you can get by getting the pressure off of you. It's called vacation. And we need to do that. There's a rest that you can get by sticking your head in the sand and pretending it's not there. It's a form of rest. But it won't last. Because with your head in the sand, the tenderest parts of you are exposed to what you put your head in the sand to avoid. It's going to bite you somewhere. And when it does, your head will come up out of the sand. Because you'll have to face it sooner or later. It's better to face it before it bites you than after it bites you. Enough said, but you will face it. So there's different kinds of rest. One of the things that went off in me, we'll probably get to talk about this next time, is the rest he's talking about is what's called 
his rest. He's inviting us, he's calling us to enter into his rest. And here's what I never saw before. His rest is a rest he already found. It's a place he's already found. If you find a wonderful place that's so peaceful, you know, it's just, you know, I remember the first time we found, what was it, Brenton Point in, in, in Newport? And we've, I don't know how we found it. We found the place and it's just, you know, it was a beautiful, I know it was a hot day up here. It was like, like it's been here. It was in the mid-upper 90s. And I drove down there, it was, it was a day off, and I drove down there and pulled up there and there was a sea breeze coming in and I looked at the, th- temperature, the thermometer in my car, it was like 68. I said, oh, this is wonderful. Well, I went back home and told my wife about it and we started telling other people about it. Why? Because it was a special place where there was a special, I could rest there, there was a sea breeze, it was cool there. It was a place that existed that I found that we would take other people to. His rest and we're going to see how he got there, is a rest God created for himself. And now he's called you and me to join him in his rest. See, it's not God sitting in heaven saying, you rest down here. He has created a place of rest that he is calling us into to share that rest with him. Isn't that good? Well, we're going to find out where that place of rest is. And then we'll find out how to get there. For he who would believe do enter that rest, verse 3, so I swore in my wrath that they would not enter my rest. Look at this. I never saw this before. Although the works, his works, were finished. From when? The foundation of the world. His works were finished from the foundation of the world. Look at verse 4. For has he spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Oh, this is good. I'm telling you, When I saw this this morning, I wanted to skip the rest of my day. You know the story in chapter 1, he created the light, he created the darkness, he created all these things, and it would say at the end of the first day, the evening and the morning were the first day, and he said it was good. He went and created the next second day, he said it was good. Then he said the evening and morning went through six days of creation. And that's the end of chapter 1. Chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. They were what? Finished. On the seventh day, God ended His work which we had done, which He had done. All that God was ever, listen carefully, all that God from His side was ever going to do was finished at this point. Every provision, every deliverance, every salvation, everything that was ever going to be needed, God finished. And when He finished, He rested. In other words, from God's side, it's all done. It was all done on that sixth day. 
and he was done, finished. And because he was finished from his work, his work wasn't just hanging the stars in the sky. His work wasn't just creating light and that separate light. His work was creating everything that we were ever going to need. And he was done. He rested. Oh, this gets better. Verse 3. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. So He rested and then He took that rest and He sanctified it. So there's something about this rest that is special because to be sanctified means it's set apart from everything else because it's holy. It's special to God and it's to be treated specially because it was special. So this rest was so special to God. It wasn't that He's worn out because God doesn't get worn out. You don't get worn out when all you do say is let there be. That's not exhausting. The rest isn't because he was tired. The rest is because he was finished. And when you're finished, there's nothing else to do. And he sanctified it because everything he created was good. And it was now over from his part of view in terms of what he had to do. Now he's got to teach them this. So let's go to Exodus, chapter 20. Oh, we may not get through this. Of course, these are the Ten Commandments. Verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days... You shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it or made it holy. Now go back to Hebrews. I should have told you to keep something there. And of course, we understand that the Sabbath meant that they were to do no work on the Sabbath day. Now what about us? Does that mean that we're not to do anything on the Sabbath day? Well, we're going to see what he was teaching them by a ritual was to lay the foundation for a principle by which we're to live our lives, which is what God did back in Genesis. And we may only get to begin this, but I'm, I'll, I'll go through it enough so that we can, well, we can catch the beginning of it. All right. So again, verse 4. He has spoken at a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all His works. What I want you to see here is He rested not because He was tired. He rested because it was done. 
It was finished. So when something is done and it's finished, you rest. You rest. Remember, faith rests. And the reason it rests is because it's done. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some, for some to enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time it has been said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, talking about when the second generation finally made it into the promised land, that's what he's referring to there. If Joshua had given them rest, if that's the rest God was really talking about, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. There therefore remains a rest for the people of God. That rest is not, not doing anything on Sunday. Verse 10. For he who has entered his rest, that's God's rest, has himself ceased from his works as God did from his And this is the principle, I'll just introduce it, and then the next time we'll develop this. I'll just, because it's not fair to bring you as far and not give it to you. What we've established is that God is teaching by the Holy Spirit here that as Christians, we are to be at a place of faith where we put our faith in what Christ did to the point that we rest in His completed work, which means there's nothing we do to add to what he did to make us right in God's eyes. That's the context here. But it applies to everything in faith. Because the principle of faith that we've understood is all faith is doing is receiving something God's already given. Grace is the act by which God gives it. Faith is the, is the means by which on our side we receive it. We can't receive something he hasn't given. And so while we've seen as we've studied things, is God has already provided the healing for you. God has already provided everything you're going to need. When you cry out to God and you tithe and you give and sow seed, God's not up there in heaven manufacturing something to get ready to drop down. It's already here. It's all ready to go. It's on sitting on a table, banqueting table, waiting for you to pick it up. From God's side, He's already done it. This went off on me the other day on the plane out to Ohio. In Genesis 17... God said to Abraham, As for me, I have made you a father of many nations. He does not say, I'm going to. He said, it's from my side of the equation, it's done. From my side, it's done. All that's left is for you to believe it. Joshua standing at the gateway to Jericho. An angel appears to him, an angel of war. says, take your shoes off, it's holy ground. And when they get to pick him up off the ground, he says, look, it's Jericho. And I talked about this Sunday morning. A walled city. The archaeologists tell us the walls were so wide that they ran chariot races around the top of the wall, six chariots wide. And God, through the angel, says to Joshua, See, I have given you the city. Well, if he looked with these eyes, it didn't look given at all. Nothing had changed. 
but he was telling him to not look with these eyes, but the eyes of faith that agreed with what God had already said. Because God had already said over 40 years ago, I've given this land to you. See, from God's side, it's done. That's why he's not getting so upset in the middle of the night when you're up tearing your hair out saying, Oh, I don't know what we're going to do. Because in his mind, it's done. See, he can see it's done. He can see that it's done. We can't see it's done with these eyes and these hands and these ears. But we can see it's done with the eye of faith. Why? Because God said so. So the rest that God is in today is because from His side, He's done it. It's over. He's finished it. It's completed. And what He's telling us is we're to enter in to that same rest. So that... So look at it this way. God's not over here trying to make it all happen. God's sitting here. He's resting. He's at peace. But while He's at peace over there, we're running around trying to get this straight, figure out what do I got to do. I got to find out what do I have to do. I got to do this. And He's over there at rest. And what He's telling is, Son, it's not going to happen until you come over here with me and you sit here next to me, and you enter into your rest with me. Now, we'll see next time you have to labor to get there. You don't just do it by feelings. You've got to do some work to get there. We'll talk about what that is. But that's the goal, is to get to that place of rest. See, while you're sitting there, you're not trying to figure out how it's going to happen. Why do you have to figure out why something's going to happen when it's already happened? I don't have to figure out how I'm going to get Anita to marry me. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? Why? Because she made that decision for over 43 years ago. I don't worry about that. I rest in the fact she said yes. Now, she may wonder why she said yes some days, but I rest in that. She said it. It's done. It's settled. God may have his questions some days, but he said it. He'll do it. That's why Psalm 23 says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy. Your enemy's trying to scare you so you won't eat what he's already put on the table. That's why Peter says, take all your care. Be anxious, but take all your care. And Oh, this is good. See, he's sitting here. And we're running around over there. He says, no, no, bring all that care over here. And he says, roll it over on me. Roll it over on me. Didn't Jesus say something in Matthew 11 about, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, that's burdened down, and I will give you, I will give you, I will give you. But how do you get that rest? Take, come and humble yourself and learn of me. You got to come and learn of him. What he's like. He wasn't panicked. Jesus didn't run around in a panic. Oh my God. Because he knew they were going to kill him. If you knew ahead of time how you're going to die and about when you're going to die, would you sleep well at night? Especially the way he died? He was at rest because he walked in faith in his Father. 
Come unto me, all me that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn of me, for I am meek and humble, and I will give rest to your soul. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Be Philippians 4. Be anxious for how many things? Nothing. But in everything you'd be anxious about, make your request known unto God who's already done it. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart. His rest is not that he's tired and needs to sit down and recover from the ardors of creating all this universe because there's nothing hard for God. His rest meant it was a sign he was completed with everything he was going to do, including you, including you, including you. Just give me a minute to go. I want to show you something. Go back to verse 3. It says, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, everything you need from your salvation to your deliverance to your healing to your job, everything in God's mind and everything from God's side for you was finished before the earth foundation was set. And we're trying to talk God into doing something now. Faith, because it believes God's already done it, rests. But it's not a rest of your own. It's entering into His rest which is because he's finished his side and he's telling you all, your side is just to believe he finished his side. That's why Jesus says in, Matthew, in Mark eleven twenty three and 24, whatsoever things you desire in your heart, when you pray, believe that you already receive them and then you shall have them. Why do you believe you've already received them? Because he finished doing it before the foundation of the world, that's why he's resting. And we are to enter into his rest.